Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Hello, everyone. As we straddle this truly odd period between Christmas and New Year, when everything goes quiet and everything feels like it's on a big pause as we digest Christmas and get ready for the New Year, I'm going to run some of my favourite episodes from the Wild series. So today I want to share a conversation I recorded with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor when we were still in pandemic mode, sort of partway through the last year, I think it was. It was one of the most joyful chats I can ever recall having. You'll see what I mean. And I think the lesson at its heart is a perfect one for this interstitial time of year when we're seeking different ways of seeing the world and perhaps a prompt for lifting ourselves up and out of our rutted left brain thinking. About 12 or 13 years ago, I watched my first ever TED Talk, and it was presented by my guest today on the podcast, the brain scientist, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. I am the author of My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey, and the new book, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. Now, it went on to be the second most watched TED Talk of all time, and you might remember it. You might remember her white hair and her sort of wildly flailing arms as she shares her her experience witnessing her own stroke inside her brain over a course of four hours one morning. It totally blew my mind at the time. And I did what I always do when my mind is officially blown. I went and cried in the dark for a bit from the recognition of it all, the recognition of the truth, the truth that science and spirituality can only point at. And then I madly sent the YouTube link to everyone I knew. Anyway, off the back of the talk, her book with the same name, Stroke of Insight, became an international bestseller. And it spent 63 weeks, I think, on the New York Times bestseller list. And that year, Jill became one of Time magazine's 100 most influential people and she appeared on Oprah, so she went massive. But I'd say every six to 12 months since then, I've wondered whatever happened to Jill Bolte-Taylor. Did she manage to stay in that connected, pure place with a full and like almost visceral understanding of the truth that we are a tiny part of a whole? 
And how has this shaped her life? I mean, does she still interact with people at dinner parties? And how does she do that when they start talking about, I don't know, private school fees or hip pain or pandemic anxiety? Now, since I have a podcast where I've been almost given a mandate to hunt down people with big ideas I've been wondering about, I sent an email to Jill and she agreed to come and chat on my podcast. As it happens, she has just published her first book since Stroke of Insight, and it's about how she integrates the different hemispheres of her brain so that she can indeed keep living in this connected way. It's called Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. And I'll just say the choice bit, that choice bit is the bit that's key to me. So I guess the wild idea I wanted to discuss with her, because that's the point of this podcast, is an idea she plants back in her TED Talk and then picks up now in her latest book, that living as big as the universe, in her words, in openness is a choice we can all activate because we're wired for it. All right, let's get chatting with Jill. So, Jill, am I speaking to you from a houseboat it looks like you're sitting in an unusual situation there. Yes, I, I live on an 80-foot river boat on a lake in Kentucky out in a magnificent cove that is uh, quite remote. And uh, my friends are the heron and the eagle and the turtles and the fish, and it's just heaven here. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's a lovely backdrop for our conversation, I feel. Um, it's very apt, and it explains so much from what I've read of you over the last couple of years. But Look, if you don't mind, could we go back to that TED Talk that sort of launched this whole kind of phenomenon? And I'm wondering if you could explain what actually happened that day when you had that stroke. And perhaps if you could do it in terms of the left brain, right brain um, explanation, because that is what your next book covers off as well. So could you take us back to that day? Yes. So uh, I was 37 years old and I experienced, I was a brain scientist at Harvard and I'm a cellular anatomist. So I think in terms of cellular circuits and cellular structure. So I study the structure and the function of the human brain. And my area of specialty was how does our brain create our perception of reality? And I was interested in this because I grew up with a brother who's only 18 months older than I, who would eventually be diagnosed with a brain disorder, schizophrenia. So I was always focused on what is normal. And one of us clearly was different from normal because he and I were so different from one another. So I grew up to study the brain and I was at Harvard teaching and performing research. And I woke up one morning and I had a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, all of the functions of the left hemisphere shut down. And then I was left in a consciousness of just the right brain. So the difference between these two hemispheres is first, the right brain, which is what I gained, is in the present moment. The, the Right here, right now, it's a perfect moment. And there's no judgment of what is right, what is wrong, good, what is good, what is bad. There's no 
identification of individuality or self, because those are all functions of the left brain. So in the right here, right now, it's a perfect moment, and it is uh, an experiential, but there is no past and no future. So it is merely the expansiveness of what I am as a living being, not as a specific Jill Bolte-Taylor, but as a living being, as a part of a collective whole. So I essentially become atoms and molecules as big as the universe, sharing a consciousness with everyone because there's no sense of separation, because that also is a function of the left hemisphere. So the left hemisphere, I lost the group of cells that define the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So there's actually a group of cells in the left hemisphere that says I am separate from the atoms and the molecules of that expansive right hemisphere experience of the present moment. And then there's language in the left hemisphere, the ability to create sound and place meaning on sound so that we can communicate with one another. And a part of language is my ability to say, I am, I am an individual separate from you. I am Jill Bolte-Taylor. These are the colors I like to dress in. Uh, this is my education. These are my relationships. This is my job. This is my academic study. These are all the details of how I relate myself to the external world. So on the morning of my hemorrhage, I lost the, ide the identity of me, the individual. I lost all language. I lost the sense of time. I lost all boundaries of where I began and where I ended. And I shifted into the consciousness of the present moment. And I existed in this state of experiencing myself as a fluid instead of as a solid for eight years. So uh, it took eight years for me to completely recover all function. And, um, and that's when I wrote the book, My Stroke of Insight. And I was invited to give that TED Talk. And the TED Talk was actually the first TED Talk to ever go viral. So Ted and I kind of got you know, <laughs> out there in the world. We got to your side of the planet together. There was a moment in the TED Talk where you describe having to make a phone call. I mean, you describe a number of things, having a shower, yes. but also trying to make a phone call and trying to dial 911 because you were aware you were having a stroke or you were aware that something yes. terrible was happening. And yes. can you describe just how you experienced trying to sort of dial the phone and the fact that you experienced your hand and your arm as atoms yes. and molecules that couldn't be yes. distinguished. Could you describe that moment? Because it, it blew my mind at the time. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it blew my mind at the time too. <laughs> your, your mind had already been blown. <laughs> that exactly. was the state you were in. <laughs> exactly. So on the morning of the stroke, the stroke was uh, morning of the stroke lasted four hours. And during that period of time, because I was experiencing a hemorrhage, the hemorrhage began small. And then over the course of time, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as a as blood is actually uh, neurons are allergic to blood is toxic to neurons. So as blood comes in contact with neurons, they either die or they break their connections and curl up in 
into little falls and 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 protect themselves. So um, over the course of these four hours, though, as the blood got more and more in that left hemisphere, more and more of my my abilities went offline because cells function in circuits. Circuits result in abilities and behaviors. So on that morning of the stroke, part of uh, I would waffle between being totally in the present moment consciousness where I am as big as the universe. I am a collective of of atoms and molecules. I'm all about here and and what is in front of me. And then I would waffle back into that circuitry of the left brain and hook into normal reality. So as I was trying to make a phone call, the left hemisphere language, letters, the A, A is, is a symbol. It's an abstract symbol upon which we give it a meaning. We call it an A and it sounds like ah. And we it is one of the components that we put together and then we have words and then words have sounds and those sounds then have meaning. So language is quite complex in the left hemisphere. And so I would shift into a consciousness of the left hemisphere where numbers numbers are the same as letters. They're abstract symbols that really have no meaning. They're just an abstract symbol that you and I agree and assign it a meaning, but a one is a one. It's just a line. It has no meaning. So my brain, when I was in the left hemisphere, was turned on, then I could connect to the symbol and and relate the symbol to a meaning. But when I would shift into the right hemisphere, I would have no memory of what numbers I had already dialed. So I was waffling in and out of actually, I had I had to track down a business card because I couldn't remember what my phone number was at work. And um, it took me 45 minutes to figure out where my business card was inside of an inch stack of, of business cards. Because I, in the present moment, I couldn't remember or I couldn't identify with the reality of what does the business card look like. So eventually I I got the business card and I had to match the shape of the squiggles on the card to the shape of the squiggles on the telephone pad. And then I had my right arm had gone paralyzed and I had to wield my paralyzed arm like a stump and actually cover the numbers as I push those matching squiggles, because otherwise I would drift out into the present moment of my right hemisphere, be big as the universe. And then when I would come back into me, Jill Bolte Taylor, I'm trying to save my life. I wouldn't remember if I had dialed a number or not. So so it was quite a dramatic, traumatic experience. So you actually experienced also this idea of watching the molecules and the atoms of your hand and not being able to decipher between where your hand and say the phone or the wall of the shower or whatever it was that you were on that morning, where it began and ended. Is that is that right? Yes. Can you describe yes. that feeling? Well, it's um, it's an overall experience. Um, I we you have the ability to know you as an individual simply because there's a small group of cells in your left parietal region that creates a holographic image inside of your brain of where you begin and where you end. But if those cells go offline, then you no longer have the boundaries of your skin. You're an energy blob, uh, an enormous energy ball f- infusing this 
organic lump of some 50 trillion molecular geniuses that ultimately is this dense mass that you're going to call Sarah. So you become this mass and it has energy. And then the left brain comes in and it says, okay, well, I'm a completely non-functional mass of organic, you know, waste until I have identity because otherwise I'm just flopping around in the experience of the present moment. And it's fantastic there because there's this overall sense of euphoria and love, but it's completely non-functional. So we have to have that left hemisphere in order to be able to extract details and structure and identity and individuality in order to be able to then to become a functional human being inside of a society with other individuals. So, so we, it's kind of like we have these two parallel universes that we exist in at the same time. And we do have the ability to choose which one we're in, but because we are so skewed into the me, the my, the I, because we teach this is, this is us as a society as all the focus is on me, the individual, then, and we, we bring our children up to focus on that piece of themselves instead of just the energetic present experiential, Mm. then we become more value and more structured in that left hemisphere. So the I becomes really important. And that's how, how I filter the information now coming in from the external world. Yeah, what struck me is just that you actually were able to experience what the quantum physicists can only point to and describe in textbooks and what the spiritualists for eons have also only ever been able to point to. What struck me, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I first heard your TED talk was just how you brought that to life. You lived out that truth. And it's really interesting. You picked up on something there, which is in the title of your next book, the fact that you can choose and that we are yes. we can choose to actually steer ourselves towards this right hemisphere and access more of that spiritual space, which I think is at the heart of the human experience. We spend our lives, I think, yearning for it and trying to come back to that truth, which exists as a material and spiritual truth. And it's not woo-woo, right? And that's the point right there is, as you say, we yearn for this. Many of us do. And many of us are so stuck in the, in the word spiritual. I don't use the word spiritual. I use rest, right hemisphere. But right hemisphere has been packaged as spiritual, and spiritual has been packaged as woo-woo. And so the left hemisphere, the left thinking part of our brain looks at woo-woo and says, oh, that's not safe. That's not real. We can't prove it. We can't experiment and show it, even though quantum physics is actually doing exactly that. But because of the way that that the language has been used in order to, to not just package it with language, but there are certain colors, right, that we relate to that space. It's the purples and the violets and the pinks and they're flowing and I'm not comfortable in that, says that left brain, but it doesn't have to be that way. So so what I have tried to do is be very careful in in looking at the brain. 
brain. What is it about the brain? Where are these cells? What are the different groups of cells? What do these different groups of cells specialize in? And how can we generalize it in such a way that we can actually recognize, well, I probably do spend a lot of time in my right brain. You probably do spend a lot of time in your right brain, but because it's not in the, the, you know, 1% of I'm feeling connected to all that is, I've lost the perception of myself. I'm totally expansive and open. And, you know, where the gurus are trying to send us through meditation, if I don't achieve that, then I'm not in my right brain, which is not the case at all. That ability to experience oneself as separate from the whole or as connected as the whole is a natural ability inside of everyone's brain. So as a scientist, as a brain specialist, I try to help people realize this. We are wired for these very different ways of being. And how can you recognize when you're already in that part of yourself? And if you want more of that, this is what that part does. And so A, you can recognize when you're in that, or B, you can choose to calm the other groups of cells in your brain that are interfering with your ability to take make that as your choice. But we have the power to choose where we are inside of our brain and what circuitry we're running. I'd love for you to explain in brain terms, when your left hemisphere shut down, you, you've written that you lost um, a bunch of emotions, human emotions, a sense of loneliness and guilt and a bunch of other sort of emotions which I just can't fathom not living without, If you, or sorry, living without. Can you explain any other sort of um, emotions that you lost that you suddenly stopped experiencing? Oh, I lost. Oh, well, okay. So think about, think about the brain again, as the right hemisphere is all right here, right now. Well, what, what emotions am I actually experiencing in the present moment, right? I experience a belly laugh. Um, I can pray and I can find God in the present moment. Uh, I can meditate and I can feel the love of the universe in the present moment. But if I'm going to feel, if I'm going to feel resentment, then I am resentful about something that someone did in the past. If I feel guilty, it's about something that has already occurred. If I feel shame, it's about something that has already occurred. If I'm caught in my trauma, it's about something that has happened in the past. So all of those deep emotions that then I root because of a trauma that I experienced in the past, like I'm not good enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough, um, uh, or, or all of that, uh, is all about the past. So all of those emotions were, were gone for me. And ditto anxiety, I imagine, because anxiety and fear is about the future. Was, were they gone as well? That's exactly right. My anxiety is about something I perceive either about what has happened in the past and I now have anxiety that it's going to happen again, or I have fear about what is coming in the future. I have fear of the unknown. So these emotions of the left hemisphere are powerful and can be overwhelming and and they're it but but they are related also to my ego. They're about me. I feel resentment. I feel anger. I feel fear. I feel this, fat, that, or the other. And and so that's about 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 me in relationship to something that has happened to me 
in a life about the external world. Can I am happy because I want to have a picnic and the sun is shining. So I'm happy. Uh, or the bridezilla, you know, the bridezilla is happy only if a billion details are perfectly aligned in the external world. And so everything unfolds itself. But if anything goes wrong, what do I do? I erupt because my preconceived notion, my preconceived notion is not being met by reality. So my perception of the future of what I wanted it to be is not what it, what it turns out to be. So all of that emotion that had anything to do with my past, that, that was like a, a, a hard drive that just got wiped clean. And how did that feel? I mean, you were in this space not just for those four hours or for a few months afterwards. It took you many, many years to actually regain that left-hand uh, side of the brain experience. How did it feel to live without those, you know, past and uh, future orientated emotions? Well, the present moment experience is an is an experience. Right here, right now, is an experience. Information is streaming in through our sensory systems, and it's like this explosive collage of of all of this information. And right here, right now, is a perfect moment. The left brain is saying what's right and what's wrong, and what's good and what's bad. But the right here, right now experience is simply right here, right now. And I experience a sense of gratitude that I am a living being capable of having eyes that see and hands that can move things in the external world and legs that can move me wherever I want to go and sound and a voice. So so the experience of the present moment is really a perfect moment. It feels great to be in the present moment. The experiential, what does it feel like? How much humidity is there in the air? What does it feel like when we jump into water and we feel the pressure or the temperature of the water against our bodies. It's an adrenaline rush. It loves the, you know, the, the high of an adrenaline rush. And because the right brain is about the, the collective of us as one, I want to do something with you, or I want to do something with, with the herons outside or, or with my dog or with others, because it's collective. It's very socialized. The, my, my individuality is about me. What is the pain I feel? about me. And we can, we can put, you know, sadness, we can put a lot of labels on pain, but pain is pain and pain is an emotional circuit in our left hemisphere, emotional system. And we can call it sadness. We can call it grief. We can call it anger. We can call it fear. We can call it a million names, but what it is, it is, it is pain that is requiring us to bring our attention to it so that we can either heal it or we can get lost in it. So the flip side was you, I think you described having lived in a silent brain for five weeks after your stroke. And then I think it's been a sort of varying degrees of it over the the eight years that it took to sort of rebuild your whole brain again. How was that? Were you aware of how unique that was. Oh, yes. You were? You knew before what you were before? Because you also said that you lost your old self. So you lost all that attached, any attachment to money and prestige and and so on. And every relationship. Yes, exactly. 
Oh, I can imagine. So it was fantastic. Right. How could it how could it be anything but fantastic? See, to you, because of your attachment to your relationships, you value them. Well, they didn't exist for me anymore. So it wasn't that I was grieving the loss of them. They simply didn't exist anymore. I did not know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. So that didn't make my mother very happy, but she had no mother power anymore. Imagine the relief and freedom from that, right? I'm we trying to just that, now. Yeah, I know. We all know what that feels like. So all of the stress from my job, it was gone because I didn't even know I had a job, much less who my boss was or who my colleagues were any relationships that I had, all my friendships from a lifetime, it was all gone. So the brain doesn't come in and say, oh, it's gone. I'm going to feel grief now and sadness and bad about it. It's like, what a relief. I didn't know if I was mad at anybody. I didn't know if I was holding any grudges against anybody. I didn't know if anybody had been mean to me. I didn't know who liked me and who didn't like me. I didn't, and it didn't matter. All I knew was I was alive and oh my gosh, I'm alive and capable of experiencing in the present moment. And so I didn't have the language in my left hemisphere for, for five full weeks. And I knew that I didn't have the language because it was like somebody took a remote control and hit the off button, the mute button on the radio that played inside of my head. And it was like, at the beginning, it was shocking because it was like, oh, you know, it's silent in here. There's no conversation going on. But then the conversation wasn't there saying, Uh, this is a bad thing. We don't like it. And it was like, oh my God, the present moment is a magnificent experience. And to exist in that silence was pure euphoria. I mean, it was beautiful. So you remember that. You remember and you're aware of this experience of awe and euphoria. And I think you said you felt as big as the universe. Yes, because I didn't lose the right hemisphere. What I did was I inhibited the noise of the left hemisphere that had had blocked me from this experience that is ongoing all the time. So to me, the goal in helping other people find their way into the right hemisphere is to recognize whole brain living the equal value, which means we have to be able to manage, value everything going on in that left hemisphere, but recognize that we are much more than just that. And the noise of that left brain blocks our ability to experience the peaceful, quiet, uh, beautiful space of joy and gratitude of the right hemisphere. 
I want to get onto the wild idea that I initially reached out um, to you to talk about. Um, and that is, and it's the premise of your latest book, that we can choose to access this right hemisphere to experience more of this truth and awe and to feel as big as the universe. And of course, Jill, you did it the other way. You chose to access more of the left hemisphere, which you'd lost. And that was a very long process over eight years. And no doubt you're still going through that process. You made that choice. And I remember reading that you, you call it, you had this willingness. You had a willingness to go there and that it was based also on the energy of the people around you. In particular, I think you point to nurses. There were certain nurses who had an energy who came into your room and you rose to it. You felt connected to it. And that took you to that space where you were willing and determined to try to access that left-hand side of the brain. Can you talk me through that notion? Sure. So what I lost was any ability to focus on any kind of detail that had anything to do with the external world. I had no language. I I had no sound. um, I couldn't understand anything. So I, I was I was an energy ball in the present moment. So all I could detect was energy. So when someone spoke to me, it didn't matter what they said to me, but it did matter how they said it to me. So if somebody came into my room and I'm a stroke survivor, right? And so I have no language. And uh, so if someone comes in and says, Jill, uh, Jill, can you pay attention? Are you paying attention? If they're yelling at me, I don't understand what the heck they're saying. All I know is I'm I'm under attack, right? They're raising their voice at me. They're full. They're they're just projecting at me. There's no interest in really connecting with me where I am. They're interested in me connecting with them where they are. And so the but the nurses who came in and looked at me and touched my arm and got close to my face and pointed to food or or offered me this and they communicated with me through body language or facial language because that's what the right brain that's how the right brain communicates um and that's a completely different willingness on my part because i'm going to be attracted toward that person and ultimately i want to recover i want to get better i want to get fed actually i'm really hungry and i can't open those containers so i needed somebody to see me me where I was and try to come find me. And I could detect those who, who were reaching into me versus those who were coming at me and demanding something from me. And of course, I, I, you know, I'm looking at them like, uh, boy, you have no clue about how to interact with a stroke survivor. I mean, I'm not thinking that exactly, but that's what, what, how I'm responding to them. So I became sensitive because all I was, was energy and all, all they were was energy. And I didn't understand the language, but, but I was either willing to try to connect or I was repelled away and felt unsafe. God, it goes back to just the fundamentals of so much that we do yearn for and that we miss, which is like we're talking kindness and we're also talking um, sort of more of the feminine. And I'm not saying that we should have all feminine, but there's certainly been a deficit of that feminine engagement. 
Right. Your experience exposed the fundamentals of all that we know to be true and that the spiritualists yeah. and moralists and philosophers have been trying to gear us towards, but they can only point to it. They can only sort of have glimpses of it, but you are 100% there. And that's what I just so find so, find so fascinating about all of this and your experience. But you were obviously driven by survival to access more of the left-hand side of the brain because you had to feed yourself or get fed um, and you had to engage with other humans to do that um, because we're tribal. But you kept going and you really did want to have that whole brain experience. I want to flip this around because for the rest of us, your book is really geared at getting us to have that whole brain experience, integration to have a whole life. And what you're encouraging us to do is to choose, and there's that word again, to choose to access more of our right brain. And I presume by sort of quietening down, dampening the power of the the left brain. Why would we want to do that? Well, do you want to live with the best part of yourself and live your best life and be your, you know, I mean, do you want the power of choice or do you want to be a robot? Hell yeah. I want to live. Exactly. You want I want to some live. more of what you've had. I want to have that experience where I go, I'm alive more often. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why you want to access that 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 right brain. And, um, you know, so it became, it was really challenging for me to figure out how do I help other people identify when they're already, because you're already in your right brain. If you're, if you're doing a podcast called Wild, then where's Wild? Wild is not in the left brain. It is not in the constricted, conservative, protective, let's make ourselves small and safe and routinized and do the same thing over and over and over again, which is where that left hemisphere is safe because safety comes from familiarity. And so, but you're not wanting familiarity, you're wanting wild. So you got to get out of the box. You got to go, you got to get away from the, uh, the right and wrong and the good and bad of the societal norm in order for you, especially as a woman, to be able to expand yourself and live in the present. The present moment is a place of chaos. It's a billion bits of data all being processed at the same time. And it's wild. The present moment is when we live in the wild. And that's why I live where I live. I live in the wild, the wild of nature in a very protective and supportive environment that I that is um, uh, a synergistic, it, I fuel it and it fuels me in this cove of life. But I never know when, you know, pipe, water pipe's going to blow and I got to worry if I'm going to sink my boat, you know? So I, I, I so that's the wild, right? Yeah. Uh, that the left brain's not comfortable with. So, so if you want, if you want to live, a real life and be alive and be your true self and be your happiest self and your, your alive self, then you have to wake up your right hemisphere, but the right hemisphere is, has its skill sets and it has its greatness, but the left brain is equally as great. And so that's where, why we need to balance it. I, and we're just too skewed to the left because that's how, you know, we, the value structure has set us up for the last hundred years to be skewed to the left value structure. It's interesting the way you just described um, my, I guess, wild tendencies and the fact that, yes, I, 
I am wanting to access more of that right side of my hemisphere and I've actively sought it out. And, you know, as a neuroanatomist, um, I can probably share this with you. You know, I, I've lived with, been diagnosed with bipolar for, for most of my life and I experience incredible mania and I can access that awe, that awe when I go into nature. And so I've lived on the road for, for 10 years at a time out of one bag and just roamed. And that was my way of accessing as much of that right-hand experience as possible. And so uh, not to the same extent as having a, a brain hemorrhage, but I've been able to access mm-hmm. it. And it is a choice. And that's why I've been really drawn to your wild idea that you explore in your latest book, um, Whole Brain Living, is that you do. I mean, I haven't been brave enough to say to people, it's a choice veer in this direction or not. So I want to go through a couple of the, well, techniques that you might be able to share for people listening, aside from going off and having a stroke or accessing some kind of mania, um, which I don't recommend, it's perilous. Um, Yeah, what are some of the techniques that kind of steer people to access that choice or even wisdoms that can be, that are penny drop moments that you've experienced? Because I imagine, Jill, with your special powers now, you're able to see when people can connect, that willingness, that that human connection. You know the things that people tap into. You know when you've said the thing using your left-hand side of the brain that can connect yeah. with the right-hand charm. So what are the yeah. things that really draw people to this idea that they have a choice to go to go right? So I think um, understanding certain things about the brain helps because we are this magnificent collection of cells. We really have to begin there. If I'm if I'm looking at myself as a tree and I'm all about my thoughts and my emotions and my behavior, they're like the leaves. But if I want to change my thoughts or my emotions or my behavior, let's talk brain cells because every ability we have is because we have brain cells that are performing that function. When I get angry, I'm running an anger circuit. When I'm feeling anxious, I'm running an anxiety circuit. uh, circuit. When I'm thinking about philosophical thoughts, I'm running a philosophical thinking circuitry. So these are cells. And at any time, these cells can go offline or we can choose. And so what you said is if I focus on this, then I can choose to veer that direction or not. And in my language, what you're saying is I can choose to focus on this particular emotion or thought or uh, behavior, and I'm actually fueling energy into the cellular circuit of doing that. And the more time I spend thinking about or focusing on a circuit, the stronger that circuit becomes, and then that circuit begins to run automatically without me having to, you know, constantly think. So we become habituated. So our cellular circuits become habituated. So if you're going to spend, if you chose to, to follow the whim of your mania because of the way that it, ex, the experience of that inside of your body, and you're old enough now and experienced enough now to know if you go down that road, what it feels like and what the different stages are of how you get yourself deeper and deeper into that complex circuitry of mania. And there may be a delicious nature about it that draws you into it because it's like the wildest of wild it's got to be, 
or you know that that's a little over the boundary and then it's the societal norm. You're a little too far past that societal norm. And then people are going to worry about you and they're going to want to medicate you and they're going to want to do this and they're going to want to do that. And they're going to start putting all that left brain structure on you. And then you're going to manage that however you're going to manage that. Mm. But every ability we have is because we have cells that are performing that function. And once we really understand that, then it's like, well, pause then and look at what's going on inside of your own head. What kinds of thoughts do you think? What kinds of emotions do you feel? Are you comfortable with that? Do you spend a lot of time in the present moment? Are you an adrenaline junkie? Do you spend a lot of time in prayer or meditation? And when you do, can you access that part of your brain that is also circuitry that feels like the cosmic consciousness of that infinite being? Call it whatever you want. So these are cells and we have the ability to choose which where we put our focus in order to grow that circuitry. And then that circuitry can establish new habitual thinking. So talk us through the 90 second rule, because that kind of speaks to all of that, doesn't it? Exactly. So when you think about the brain again in these cells, cells are communicating with cells in circuit. So I have certain thinking tissue in both my left hemisphere and in my right hemisphere, the neocortex, which is the part of the brain that that, uh, separates us from other mammals. And that's thinking tissue. Those are cells in circuit. And then we also have emotional tissue in each of the two hemispheres. So we have two amygdala, two hippocampi, and we, so we're having in the left hemisphere, emotions about our past and future. And in the right hemisphere, emotions of the experiential, what does it feel like to be in the present moment? So we have thinking tissue and emotional tissue. So we can think a thought and that thought circuit can stimulate an emotional circuit. So let's say I've been mad at somebody forever and I think about that person and then I automatically hook into that that emotional circuitry of, of I'm mad at that person, I'm angry, it moves me into anger. And then I run a physiological response to the emotional trigger and, and from the moment I think the thought to the moment I have, I have no more of that chemistry inside of my blood, whatever that anger nor adrenaline flushes through me and flush, flushes out of me from the beginning to the end of that takes less than 90 seconds. So it's just a cell in a reflexive circuit. So emotions run in reflexive circuitry. Thoughts run in reflexive circuitry in relationship to our emotions and our behaviors run in reflexive circuitry, just as if I'm going, you're going to hit the, uh, uh, you know, my patella and boom, I'm going to have a a knee jerk. So cell neurons communicate with neurons in circuit and the emotional circuit from beginning to end takes less than 90 seconds. Now you're going to say, but, oh, I can stay, you know, angry for a whole lot longer than 90 seconds, girlfriend. And I'm going to say, well, that's because you're rethinking the thought. I'm choosing stimulating the emotion. Yes. At this point, you're either choosing consciously or unconsciously, but you're rerunning a circuit and you don't have to. Yes. So how can we choose to not? run that circuit. Well, so what do we do? You know, okay, that guy, you know, is in relationship. He done me wrong. Now I'm angry. I'm going to run that circuit of 90 seconds and I'm just going to feel all that hostility and anger. Well, what do I do? Do I go back to still thinking about the guy or do I go do something else? And you're absolutely right. Once you know the brain chemistry, and I call it soul nerding, 
I, I sort of, when I talk about understanding how to make a shift, understanding the science, the psychology, the philosophy, the, the spiritual element, just understanding can actually then see you choose a different path. So you're right. You can go, I can keep thinking about this dude and I'll stay longer than 90 seconds because that's what my brain will do, or I can steer it over here and then my brain will do this. Exactly. And if you're having a problem doing that, let's say, we're, but, but Jill, I'm obsessing. I'm, I'm obsessing over this guy. And it's like, can't help it. Yeah, can't help it. You know, I'm not in control. And then it's like, well, why don't you think about your taxes? Right. Taxes have an emotional connotation to them. And 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 it's like, OK, well, now I'm thinking about my taxes, you know, and, and so so I'm kind of shifting my freak out from him to a freak out of my taxes or I like taxes. And it's like it's a delicious puzzle. And it's like, how do I make all that work well? So but replacing choosing to run a different circuit or choosing to bring your mind into the present moment. How hard is it to go for a walk in nature? We all do this, right? Oh, I'm going to go for a hike through the woods and, and I'm just routinizing. I brought my work with me. I'm still routinizing or the same project I was doing at work or I'm upset with this person and I missed all the trees. I missed all the sky. I missed all the people. I missed all the creatures because my mind was somewhere else still routinizing over that circuitry. And it's like, no, bring your mind to the present moment. And you don't have to be in nature to bring your mind to the present moment. Just bring your mind to your breath. You know, breath is the first thing we do when we're born and the last thing we do when we die. And it's like a train on a track and we don't think about it. Well, if you ever want to bring your mind to the present moment, this is why when we meditate or we do a mantra or we, we pray, what do we do? We think about our breath to calm ourselves. We're not calming ourselves. We're bringing our minds into the present moment. And that part of our brain calms our system because it's calm in the present moment. And then the left brain just accelerates and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and it goes here and it goes there and it's busy and it's fast and then it's like oh bring my mind to the present moment it's like the pause Whew, we took a pause well it's find it interesting um that you use the example of switching say from um doofus um boyfriend to taxes i like that example <laughs> primarily because what you're saying is Making the leap, and, and in the work that I've done in and around anxiety, often it is said that our brain can actually switch to reframing anxiety as excitement with far more cognitive ease than, say, switching from anxiety to calming down. Because in the history of people telling somebody else to calm down, nobody has right. ever calmed down, right? It's too much of a leap. Right. So the idea, right. have I got this right? Like switching yes. from doofus boyfriend to tax means it's a small leap. You've moved from one level of frustration and anger and angst to another, and it's exactly. like crowding out that emotion with the least cognitive discomfort, so to speak. Yeah, don't 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 take me from I'm thinking about doofus and I'm mad at him to oh I need to send him love and think about <laughs> other things. I mean, that's like, oh no, that's that's a way too big of a leap. But if I'm feeling, if I actually am, am feeling this resentment and this hostility inside of my body, and I'm observing the physiological response that I have every time I think about him, then I'm realizing a bigger picture perspective of this is not good for me. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with him. He's living his life. He's doing what he's doing. He has no idea my pain. He doesn't care about my pain. My pain is my responsibility. 
My pain is my responsibility. And I have the ability to train myself, different parts of my brain to actually nurture and support and be, be loving with me. So because I, I have that capacity to be capacity to be compassionate and empathic, not just for others, but for my own pain. I have that ability inside of my brain. So apart from learning the science and then making a choice to switch circuitry and build up different um, circuit muscles, so to speak. Are there any other tips that you, I mean, I think sleep's a big one, isn't it, for you? You talk about sleep a lot. sleep. Sleep is everything. Science has has learned that sleep is involved in in everything cellular health. So cardiovascular health, respiratory health, lymphatic health, immune system health, brain health, every form of health. Because when we sleep, it's it's like the garbage cleaner. So cells, 50 trillion cells. I mean, these are living creatures, right? They eat and they create waste and they are busy all day, whether it's a liver cell and it's filtering out what's coming into the body or it's the the kidney system and it's, it's filtering the urine and figuring out what do we keep and what do we get rid of or any cell whatsoever, it's busy. So it eats and it creates waste. And when we go to sleep, the entire system go, it's like the garbage cleaners come in and they flush out the waste. So that promotes the ability for these cells to re- to then get their needs met again the next day and we feel fresh and able and it also helps calm inflammation in the body so sleep is absolutely huge paying attention to our inflammation is also absolutely huge and so we need to pay attention to what are we eating what are we consuming what what are we intolerant of what what do we eat we may not have like an, an egg allergy or a peanut allergy, but we may have a intolerance for these things at the level of our cells. So peanuts may give me inflammation simply when I eat them. I'm not allergic to them, but I become more inflamed. Sugar, the sugar molecule is sharp like razor blades. So sugar molecule goes through our vascular system. The vascular system is nothing other than cells all squished together, lined up, making tubes. And as the sugar molecules go through, they slice the walls of those small vessels. Well, that's tissue damage. Mm -hmm. Tissue damage then sends out alarm, alarm, alert, alert. The immune system says, hey, we got tissue damage. And then we have inflammation because everything gets, it's a calling. It's like, okay, that somebody just called 911 in this part of our body because the sugar just sliced up all those cells. And so now, you know, the fire trucks are going, the police are going, the alarm is going, and and then we, we get clogged up. And illness... illness is, and I'm going to go to dis-ease because I love that. It's the cells are no longer open and in flow and living healthy, happy lives like happy neighbors. And now there's a dis-ease going on because it's all congested. So really paying attention to what are we eating? uh, How are we sleeping? And movement is my big third because movement, I'm a group of cells and I've got liquid, fluid and, and everything in my nutrition and my 
my vascular system and my immune system has to get to, to places where there's, there's problems and, and the lymphatic system is bringing big molecules that are too big to be floating around in the vascular system. And I got to get that vascular system everywhere because all my cells are dependent on the oxygen. So uh, those are my big three. You know, you got to mm. have movement. Don't kill yourself. Don't go overdo it. But you got to have movement. Pay attention to what you're eating and sleep is number one. Because when you don't do these things, it makes it more difficult to choose a different brain circuitry. Is that is that sort of what it drills down to? I, well, I think that what happens is we get more hooked into uh, the unhealthy group of cells in our brain because then we don't feel well. And if I don't feel well, then I'm not interested on in going wild, right? Well, wild is probably really healthy for me because I'm probably paddleboarding or I'm doing something fun and I'm in movement, I'm in action and I'm getting my exercise. And if I'm getting enough exercise and I'm eating well and I'm burning my energy, then I'm probably sleeping well at night because I'm exhausted because I just had a fantastic day, right? So so it's I think it's that more like we get rooted then into the part of ourselves that is not well, and that becomes a self-perpetual self-fulfilling uh, negative experience. And then we become depressed. We become sad. We become uh, listless. We become unhappy with others. We become unhealthy, unhappy with self. We become unhealthy with our jobs. And, and it's really paying attention. It switches on left brain kind of obsessions, doesn't it? When you're unwell, yes. because we all know when we're not feeling good. Yes. It switches on craving. It's the clusterfuck of thinking and thoughts and catastrophizing, right? That's what goes on when we're, when we're unwell and un- inflamed. That's absolutely true, mm. you know, and, and it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy of, yeah, I know how to be miserable and unhappy and not well. We all do. But am I going to, am I, do I want to hook into that? Um, I'd rather not. Uh, or if I do and I feel myself going there, there's a complete energy shift in us when we move into that mode and we just want to crawl in bed and pull the blanket over our head and say, go, you know, let the world go away. That's a very different energetic inside of our body. So imagine that's the energy we are using this magnificent collection of brain cells. And the brain cell is like the master. It's the motherboard. So how am I using my conscious mind in order to influence the health and the well-being and the activity of my own cells? And as, as soon as I start really taking responsibility for that, they're going, yeah, mama's on board. Let's do this. I mean, you are accessing that wildness, that right brain wildness. And do you find yourself today skewing towards the right more than the left? I mean, you've worked very for a very long time to try to create balance in your in your hemispheres, to have whole right. brain living. But do you right. find yourself leaning? Do you feel there's almost an imperative to lean in that direction? So I made an agreement with myself when I lost my left hemisphere and I experienced the vast openness of the experience of being at one with all that is, that I would recover enough of my left brain skill sets to become a functional human being in the world, to fulfill the destiny of whatever this journey leads me toward. And, but only up to that point of being able to to accomplish that. Uh, but I, my agreement with myself was that I would always come from the value structure 
of the right hemisphere. So I do things based on how can I use me as a mechanism being fueled through the energetics of the universe through this magnificent collection of cells that now has language and now has an eye and now has ability to think and organize and you know analytically think again. How do I use me to to bring the best of what I have to offer into a world, not based on the reward that that I, the individual, will receive, but on the value that we, the collective whole of humanity, in relationship to this beautiful planet, will receive? So that's where I am with that. My God, I love that answer, Jill. I absolutely love you for that answer. Um, You've treated it as a responsibility um, in that Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey Sense. You've returned back to share the message and you're going to the left-hand side of the brain to the extent that it's of service, if I've heard you right. How can we be using this whole brain living, this skewing for, for, for the rest of us who haven't had a, a hemorrhage in the brain, how can we yeah. steer ourselves to the right and how sh- should we be to be more of service to the world as it is right now, which is in a pretty crook place. Then that's why for me, it's, it's all about the whole brain living. If you know that what, what is going on in the emotional present moment experience of cells for you, what did they do? This is our creativity, our innovation, our willingness to think out of the box. This is our wild side. Uh, we want to have the adrenaline rush. We want to feel alive and we want to do it in relationship with other people. When we're experiencing that part of ourselves, that's a part that we can nurture and we can develop. And then we also can learn to recognize what are the skills of that right thinking tissue? And when am I there? And how do I promote more of that inside of myself? So for example, if I look out into the woods and I see a, a, a leaf just moving, I can shift the con- the focus of my mind from being me, the individual sitting here looking at the wind blow the tree to I can actually shift the experience of what I feel to being, I become the energy of the wind that is moving that limb. And there's the evidence of the movement of the limb. And I'm connected to that, to my right brain. I am that there's no separation. And I can train myself to identify more and more these experiences that we're all capable of feeling. And then what we're doing is the more we practice, the stronger that circuitry becomes. A simple way of doing this, Sarah, is that sense of gratitude. When I feel just gratitude, not gratitude for, not gratitude for all the details of my life or gratitude for the size of my house or gratitude for how big my bank account is or gratitude for the, you know, the education that I got, all those external things. When I simply experience gratitude that, oh my gosh, I am alive. I'm this magnificent collection of organic cells and they're alive and I can see with some of them and I have bladder capacity. Oh my gosh, I have bladder capacity. And doesn't that make my life better? I mean, it's just these little phenomenon, but there are millions of little things about the wonder of my 
existence at all. And when I go there and I feel that and I hook into that, that's when I feel as big as the universe. And I'm simply grateful for the time I've had. And if I get more time, great. But otherwise, wow, what a ride this has been. Talk about wild. Wild is every moment. And the right hemisphere right here, right now is good with it. And it wants it and it thrives in it. And it's delicious and it's fantastic and it's playful. And it's like, let's go get on. Let's go on a journey and an adventure together. And the left brain's going, hmm. That might be dangerous. Mm, that might be safe. Mm, that might be a threat. Mm, that might not be good. Mm, we need to small, 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 rigid, 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 critically analyze, make judgments, right, wrong, good, bad. Mm. But that's left brain. The right brain is this freedom open. And when we come from this collection of this, this mentality of I am as big as the universe, oh my God, what a gift it is that I get to be human. How do I use me? Use me, universe. Use me to help make this world a better place because the world's a mess. Bring the best of me forward so yeah. that I can at least add that vibration and energy to the collective whole of possibility. And if we blow up the planet, well, I showed up. Did you? My God. Um, yeah. And I also think, I mean, that's what it boils down to. I also think that when we love something hard enough, we will fight to save it and magic happens. And so we love something when we are in full congruence with it and the right brain, the right brain takes us to that congruence and everything flows from there. And let me just say this on that, because I want to go right back to the subject of the spiritual and the woo-woo. Yes. Don't let that language get in the way. I mean, it was Albert Einstein. He was a scientist, a physicist, for gosh sake, who said, you either look at the universe, I'm paraphrasing, as a place of magic where everything's magical or nothing is magical. I choose to see the magic because I know Man cannot create humanity. Man cannot create life. Oh my God, this alone is the miracle. We are the miracle. Don't forget we're the miracle, you know, and we just look at ourselves in the mirror and I think, oh, I got wrinkles and I got lines and I'm looking my age and, and this color of the lipstick isn't perfect to match my shirt. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Absolutely right. I mean, you either believe in coincidences, that everything's a coincidence or there are no coincidences. Um, and I love that Einstein quote. It's, um, it's exceedingly apt. Do you get lonely in this experience? Do you crave more connections with your fellow humans? No. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, like there's a pandemic, right? So everybody's isolated. So last year it was like, well, I live out here. This is my sixth year. So last year I would write uh, write this new book, write for 90 minutes and then go paddleboard for half an hour. And then, you know, eat, pay attention to what I'm eating, get plenty of water and go right back, write 90 minutes. So last year I wrote the book. This year I'm podcasting about the book. So I'm talking to people all the time and it's like, you know, I, I love my friends. I love my family. I love my pets. But I wake up literally and I have a great blue heron looking at me every morning. 
you know, I roll over and there it is. And it's like, oh, good morning. And it literally will squawk at me while it flies by. You know, there are eagles here. I, the, I have a turtle who who I call PT and I, I wave at it and he comes swimming so fast and he doesn't want food. He wants to play. I mean, you know, it's beautiful here. So I'm living in the wild wildly. And then my left brain has me show up on time with the podcast, you know, with the, if you want a headset, you got it, girl. So, you know, it, my left brain's working, but mm, I'm living a very whole brain life. And in a whole brain living, I'm so filled with gratitude for my life. And I'm so glad and I love the people I love, but I'm not attached to the fact that they have to be here or they have to be alive or they have to spend time with me or I feel less and weak and poor and pain about it. Nah, I don't want to feel that. I want to go play with the creatures. You go right. I want to be in the present. You go right. You choose right. I go right, baby. I just go right. Choose right. Awesome. We should have shirts. Choose right. (laughs) I might have to make you one and send it across to you on your houseboat. (laughs) Hey, Jill, we've run out of time. You are awesome. You are a gift to humanity. Um, That stroke was a gift to us all, to be honest. You've gone to the thing that most uh, science and spirituality can only point to. So thank you. Thank you, dear. I appreciate it so much. Go be wild. Okay, so that chat with Jill is precisely the kind of chat I live for. You know, there's that recognition of, of wildness and, and an aliveness in another person. And there's a recognition going on in those kinds of conversations of that, that unified consciousness. You know, it's a recognition of that right hemisphere of the brain. And of course, I know my left brain right now is is getting quite rigid as I talk this kind of language because it doesn't like what it can't understand and what it can't categorise. But so many of us and many of you, I'm sure, we crave this right hemisphere notion of truth because we know, we know it's there. We're wired for it. As I said to Jill, I haven't actually felt game enough to say to people, just choose, you know, stop blaming Stop finding excuses. Stop kind of being a a prisoner to your left hemisphere and just go right. But she's been able to do that and she's done that by talking in terms of brain chemistry and that's left-hand language, you know, the left hemisphere of our brain gets it. And so I think her message really works. What I took from it is that the way to choose, the way to make that movement to the right is to sort of nerd out on the science of it all. And I've always said this, I call it soul nerding. Actually read more about this, understand how our brains work, understand the truth. And then also to create space and time for paying attention. That's actually paramount. I always say it's non-negotiable. You've got to be vigilant about it because it's, it's a job if this is the way we want to live. She also picks up on sort of that stuff that our grandmothers talk about, that all the life coaches talk about, which is sleep, uh, diet, and looking out for inflammation. And when she puts it through the lens of, well, we do this so that we don't get caught in sort of a left brain clusterfuck, um, it kind of feels like it's something that we can rise to with a lot more ease. There's something that Jill writes about, and um, we don't talk about it in our interview, but she says that on our deathbed in the last five minutes of our lives, the left hemisphere can often shut down first. And so we are left in that euphoric right hemisphere experience where we feel full gratitude and love and 
and connection with the people around us. And I suppose what we can all ask ourselves right now in the most wild way possible is, you know, do we want to make that choice to live that way now? Do we want to wait for the last five minutes of our lives? That is a truly wild idea, I think. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.